Well, hey there, Growlers fans. One half of the season is done. 36 games in out of 72, and boy, it has it been a fun ride. Welcome to Growler Talk. I'm Lucas Moore. Sitting next to me, Brian McLaughlin and Brian. Dream first half, one we didn't really expect to be this good. Growlers went 24-11 and 11 in that first half, ending on a two-game winning streak, 5-5 five and five in their last 10, but... 24 and 11 is a dream, dream half. 35 games because the final day of the half was a rain cancellation or postponement against the Rockford Rivets, but 24 and 11. Did you expect this? I don't think anyone expected this at this point for the Scrowlers team and within this organization. They are playing such good baseball and have been throughout this entire first half and a lot of different ways. At times the offense carried the team, at times it was the pitching staff. So this team has a lot going for right now and a lot of momentum behind them going forward into the second half of the season. I've got a few things we want to touch on. We want to touch on the standings. We want to give everybody the information about the Northwoods League in terms of north, south, how it all works. Remember, season is split into two halves in the Northwoods League. That's why we're making such a big deal of it because we know two of the eight playoff spots. One team in the north, one team in the south has been decided. Congratulations to the Bismarck Larks in the north division pulling in front of Duluth on the very last day, 25-11, and 11, one game up on the Duluth Huskies. The Bismarck Larks in only their second season clinching a spot in the Northwoods League playoffs in that North Division. Full standings from the North, Bismarck in first, Duluth in second, one game back, and then the other two elite teams in the division, quote-unquote, Wilmer and Mankato. Then you get to the bottom half, Lacrosse, Rochester, St. Cloud, Eau Claire, Thunder Bay, and Waterloo at the bottom. Thunder Bay was at the bottom all year. They snuck up on the very last few days to pass the Waterloo Bucks. South Division Madison Mallards clinched it a few days ago. They're the first half champions with a record of 28-8. That was just short of Wisconsin Rapids half last year when they won 29 games. But this is the first time in the last two seasons that it has not been the Wisconsin Rapids Rafters as the champion in the South Division for any of the halves. They had won the last four but the Madison Mallards, 28-8, they're having a dream season under Donnie Scott in Madison, Wisconsin. The Kalamazoo in second at 24-11. Fond du Lac in third at 21. That's it for the 20-win teams. Then you have Rockford, who's above 500, and then you get into the bottom th parts of things. Lakeshore, Battle Creek, both at 16 wins. Wisconsin Rapids, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then Green Bay to round out the division. Kalamazoo in second place. Just taking a look at the standings, Ryan, it, does anything stand out to you? Obviously, congratulations to the Bismarck Larks in the North Division. These two divisions, very good baseball being played from top to bottom. I think when you look at the South Division, it was clear in the first half that Madison was the cream of the crop. And while these Growlers had a great year and played with the Mallards at 28-8, and that is a historic pace that the Madison Mallards are on right now. And that's why you see that there are more teams with losing records because Really, everyone the Mallards played, they were able to beat and beat soundly. And so I think it's going to be interesting to look forward for them in the second half. Can they keep that historic pace up? And then in the north, it's a very tight division race. Four teams with 20 wins, and then you've got a bunch that are very capable of making that leap right up to the top of that division. So can anyone catch Madison in the south? Has to be the story there and a close battle up top in the north. Well, the Mallards on pace for 56 wins. That would be the record for most wins in a Northwoods League season. Will they get there? There's not really a precedent for it to be that good in the second half. But if they do, I mean, 
Hats off to the Madison Mallards. They'll still have to win playoff games, though, and that's what the important thing about this league is, is that you can have a great season and one bad night in mid-August, and all of a sudden you're back at home with no championship to speak of. Let's talk about this Growlers team specifically. Your Growlers MVP, and I think my Growlers MVP, is everybody's MVP. It's Nico Cavadas. It's pretty clear that he was the MVP of this first half for the Growlers team, played the most ball games out of everyone on this Growlers team went through a stretch where he was almost single-handedly carrying them on the offensive side of things. Last Two walk-offs back-to-back. Back-to-back nights. He went through that weak stretch where he won the Northwoods League Player of the Week. Just a huge bat hitting power, tied for the team lead in home runs. The lead man in RBIs, hits for a high average above 300 and plays a solid first base. He truly was the MVP of this team. Yeah, led the team in at-bats with 122. 41 hits in that first half, four home runs, 11 doubles. Right now, Nico Cavadas is on pace to break the single-season record for RBIs for Kalamazoo, home runs for Kalamazoo, and doubles for the Kalamazoo Growlers. He's close to being on pace to breaking the hits record as well, a 336 batting average in that first half. Unfortunately, he's out for a week with a spider bite, but he'll be returning a few games into that second half, and the Growlers will be happy to have Nico Cavadas back on the field when he does get there. A peculiar injury for Nico Cavadas, but one that happens, it's a long season, and maybe he can come back refreshed. We said we'd call him Spider-Man if he comes back and hits the way he was because it's like he gained superpowers. He is, although I don't know if he needs the superpowers, the way he's playing and the way he can hit the baseball. We've seen him go on hot stretches and cold stretches just in the last week. He's played good baseball and continues to hit the ball well. When he is hitting the ball well, attacking first pitches, I don't know if there's a more dangerous bat in the Northwoods League overall the way he can drive the ball to all parts of the ballpark and just a good hitter for average as well, drives in those runs. It'll be interesting to see if he comes back refreshed. This team could go on another long win streak the way he played during that 11-game win streak really carried that team offensively. The man is addicted to baseball as well, and I think that's what's so special about Nico Cavanis. He was an elite talent in the ACC, a 299 hitter for Notre Dame. But this man eats, breathes, sleeps, whatever other adjective you want to put, baseball all the time. And I think that's what helps him be so successful. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. It's the love for the game that he has and the passion that a lot of these guys have. That's what gotten them to this level. But it is clear that you and I saw that in Nico right away from the beginning, always talking about baseball, which is definitely something that you love to see in a student of the game as well, always trying to learn, which is very impressive and a great trait for a guy who just finished up his freshman year of college. So still young, knows there's a lot of room to improve, but has the natural talent and clearly the passion for it to be successful. Let's talk about the Growlers, quote-unquote, Cy Young from that first half, the best pitcher on the staff. You and I agree on this and well. It's the Huntington man. It's Mason Shinneberry. It's the door shutter. It's the closer. 4-0 record, three saves, 19 and a third innings pitched, in 23 strikeouts and 19 and a third innings pitched. That's incredible. Three walks. Three walks to 23 Ks and a 0.93 ERA. Without a doubt, the best arm in the entire staff is Mason Shinneberry, and he proved that in the first half. From Huntington, an NAIA program, he's coming in and he's showing that, hey, I've got an 89-mile-per-hour fastball. I can spot it at the knees. I have a lot of control. He's been dominant. It's that command that separates him because he doesn't have overpowering stuff. He has very 
good stuff, but maybe not what you'd see from a lot of closers, but it's the command that he's able to execute any pitch out there on the mound, spot it anywhere he wants. A very smart pitcher, works good sequences, and those three walks to 23 strikeouts is so impressive. He's able to notch four wins as well on his belt, just one extra base hit. He allowed that entire first half. Very impressive on a staff that went through some dominant stretches as well. Guys like Tommy Summer had great first halves out of the bullpen, but it's clearly Shinneberry had the best first half for the Scrowler staff. And often when you think of closers in baseball, you think of mean muggers, guys with scary beards. I Trey Snorkis out of Madison. I've never met the man, but he feels like when he walks out on the mound, you're like, oh, this guy looks kind of intimidating and scary. And Shinneberry, when he pitches, is intimidating the ball coming out of his hands. But off the field, around everywhere, I mean, he just has these you know, bright eyes and he's, he's ready to take on the world and he's positive about many things. But as soon as he gets on that mound, he gets aggressive, he takes control of the baseball game and you can see how passionate he is. He clearly is a very dominant pitcher on the mound, has that presence that you need to be a closer. And like you said, maybe not the most dominating or perhaps imposing look out there on the mounds like some relievers do or the overpowering stuff that they have whether it's a low mid-90s fastball or a hard breaking curveball but he gets the job done and it's hard to ask for much more than that and you can't argue with the results he's put up there arguably one of the best closers in the Northwoods league right now I'd put him right up there with Trace Norkis uh, for Madison among some other closers throughout the league there were records broken in this first half Brian and to wrap up our first segment before you had an opportunity to sit down with assistant coach Zane Gonzalez there were four records broken significantly in this first half. Most wins and a half ever by a Growlers team with 24. Longest winning streak ever by a Growlers team at 11. Most runs in a single game with 21. And the highest ever ranking in the National Summer Collegiate Baseball rankings at 7. That was the highest of any Northwoods League team. Which of those records, Brian? Let's have a nice little debate here. Which of those records was the most impressive that this Growlers team broke? Well, I look at the longest winning streak. To be honest, I think that's where it has to start. That is the streak that got them to the 24-win total. And when they were going through that winning streak, everything was just seemingly clicking. It's going to be so hard to replicate a winning streak like that again moving forward. The Mallards went on a win streak early in the year. The Growlers answered with that 11-game winning streak of their own to try to keep pace with Madison and stay right in the division race. And So that, to me, is why it's the longest. The longest winning streak is the best record or the most impressive to me in the first half to me it's the highest ranking and this is for many reasons i agree with the winning streak but the highest ranking ever is the most impressive and being the highest ranked team in the northwoods league because those rankings aren't just records and how you're performing statistically it's looking at pure talent and i think that's the most impressive because it takes all aspects of building a summer collegiate baseball team from on-field performance you have to have wins to showcase that talent off-field recruiting, relationships with coaches, um, all across collegiate baseball, how you're scouting guys, how you're deciding what guys you'd like to bring into the building. All those things go into that ranking of seven. I think it's a representation of all the other records that were broken. And for me, that's like the Cardinal one. Yes, you are the highest-ranked team in the Northwoods League because they think you have the most talent. Look at the Growlers rotating in lineups. I mean, it's just Fresh lineup card every day. Guys in new spots completely change almost the entire field, and they still go out and put six, seven, eight runs up. They still go out and win ball games consistently and produce from a lineup point of view. They've got a lot of talented pitchers as well that went through a rough patch, but you start to expect them to turn it around with Connor Adams coming off a great start. 
I think the highest ranking ever is the most impressive to me. The winning streak, impressive. Most wins in a half, historic. Most runs in a game, that was a lot of fun. But being number seven in the entire country, that is something that you can hang your hat on. Yeah, they're all impressive records. And I think, to me, the reason I also enjoyed the 11-winning streak or the 11-game win streak and why I thought it was most impressive is because it was a different lineup every day. How hard is it to go out and win 11 straight games when you don't have one single lineup the same night in and night out? And that, to me, all the rotation makes it even more impressive. And that's kind of just why I valued it so much and why I think that's the most impressive thing. And when you look back on this first half, if you don't go on that winning streak, you Still have a good record, but you're not winning 24 games. And honestly, they were in the middle of that winning streak when they were put number seven in the country. And so to me, I think that winning streak was just kind of the symbol of to everyone in the nation, like we're here to play. We're here to win some baseball games. We're a talented team. I, I like both arguments. They're all impressive. It's, it's hard to pick one out. It was a historic first half. Zane Gonzalez, the assistant coach, was a big part of that historic first half. One of the keys to this coaching staff that's done a fantastic job over the first 35 games. You had an opportunity to sit down with Zane Gonzalez and have a conversation with the Growlers' assistant coach. He played under Cody Pachocki, so I'm sure he has some interesting stories. Let's go ahead and take it to that interview on Growler Talk. Hey, Growlers fans, Brian McLaughlin. On this episode of Growler Talk, sitting down for an interview with the Kalamazoo Growlers volunteer assistant coach Zane Gonzalez. Zane, thanks for taking some time. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing well. appreciate the uh, the call of bringing me on the podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate all the work that you guys do up here. Well, it's going to be a fun time, and uh, Lucas and I appreciate all the work that you guys do. We've talked with now the entire coaching staff, and uh, you have had a lot of experience around Kalamazoo. You played Baseball yep. for Cody Pachocki at Kalamazoo Valley. Yep. You were a relief pitcher for the Growlers as well. Now you're back as a coach. How does that feel, being back in Kalamazoo in a different role? Uh, Kalamazoo is just – it's an amazing city. Uh, it's I kind of call it the city where it, I became a man here, I guess you could say. Uh, I left high school. This is where I did my junior college, two years. Um, grew up a lot, for sure. Uh, this city has taught me a lot. And then being with – Coach Pachocki, my first two years, he taught me a lot, not just baseball stuff, but off the field as well, you know, how to be a man, how to go about your business in, in school, on the field, balancing that lifestyle. And then also the Kalamazoo Growlers, like you said, I pitched here. Um, that was a great opportunity for me. Um, I mean, I was just a temp guy, so, I mean, I wasn't a full-time roster guy, but, I mean, it was quite the experience, quite the opportunity, and I took advantage of it. So you played here as a temp guy. Now you're back as a coach. How do you kind of use that to relate to some of these guys on the team, whether it's pitchers, hitters, just some of these players on this team as having that experience with them? Right, right. So like I talk to the guys, I'll say, hey, guys, I've been in your shoes. Okay, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. Yes, I was only a temp guy, but I've been through that day-to-day -day stuff. You know, it's the term grind is used, thrown out there all the time. It gets lost in translation. Um, but – uh, the idea of getting to the ballpark early every day, getting your work done, getting after it, it takes a toll on your body. And it's it's nice to have someone like me and the coaches around to help them ease into that transition of making everyday decisions and helping them get through those motions. So then for you as a player, now as a coach, how is that kind of grind of day-to-day -day operations different for you? So 
as a player, it was more, okay, I got to show up at 3 is when we have to report. I'll probably show up around 2 just to get my own work done. Um, now it's, okay, players arrive at 3. I need to be here around noon so I can get all my personal work done, get ready for the game tonight. That way when the players get here at 3, we can be more hands-on with them and I have all my stuff ready to go for game time. So it's a lot more uh, work than I thought behind the scenes as opposed to when I was a player. That's something I've really observed from seeing you work, whether it's on the bus or just walking through the locker room. seems like you are always watching film of something or writing down on some fancy chart that yeah. I don't exactly understand just from a glance. And that's something that I've been really surprised about learning. Some as, well, This is one of my first summers in collegiate baseball. Right. And so that is something that I've really found impressive. What are some of the things that you are doing with all of that just – not exactly every secret in-depth thing, I guess, but what are some of the things you're looking for, just working on with all those different things you do? Right, so my job is uh, working on opposing teams. So how do we attack opposing hitters? How do we shift opposing hitters? Uh, stuff like that. Also assisting pitching coach Mark Goodman, uh, being a former pitcher, you know, that's kind of where I'm going to start out and learning as a new coach. I, I just graduated. You know, so I'm still doing that transition. But uh, watching a lot of film on opposing teams before the guys get here, after guys leave, uh, it's I want to be good at everything I do. That's just has always been my mentality. Competitive. Uh, I want to do well, and I don't want to let anyone down. So, and if I feel I'd rather be over prepared than under prepared, you know, um, and that's kind of the mentality I've taken. Just showing up really early, getting everything done. If I feel like I don't have enough done and we're on the bus, well, good thing there's uh, we got a nice setup and we have Wi-Fi on the bus and I can <laughs> do it right. there. Yeah, so you mentioned you're a former pitcher. One of the things that I learned about you is you were a sidearm pitcher yeah. in the second half of your collegiate career. Yep. You weren't always that way. No. Can you talk to us a little bit about that transition? Yeah, so when I got to Kalamazoo Valley, uh, I was over the top three-quarter arm slot. I didn't have much velo. I Pretty much I knew how to pitch. I wasn't much of a thrower. I was a pitcher. I could okay. outsmart hitters. Okay? okay. I would use my off speed to advantage. I would hold runners on very well. I would mix in pickoffs, stuff like that. Um, and then after my two years, I had to find a new school to continue my career because it's only two years in junior college, like you know. And I went to Indiana University South Bend, which is just a satellite school of IU. And right before I get there, brand new coaching staff. They get rid of the original coaching staff and – Brand new coaching staff, so I got to go in. I go, well, these guys don't really know much about me. I got to find a way to stand out. My arm was kind of bothering me a little bit, and then I started to mess with a sidearm uh, arm slot, and it started. the ball started to take off. It started to tail, and uh, that's kind of when I was like, you know what, this, is, this could be my opportunity of getting in the game, and that's all I really cared about was getting in the game and helping the team, and if that's what it meant to get in the game and help our team win, then I was going to do it, and I just – found a way to try and master that sidearm slot and it worked out I think that story says a lot about you and just kind of your mindset mm -hmm. around this baseball team and just kind of your career in general moving forward I know you just accepted a new position uh recently at yeah. University of Rio Grande in yep. Ohio and that I think is a great success for you and moving up and just relatively your first year out of school right yeah it's gonna be I just accepted that position really right before I came up here so I've been applying for graduate assistant positions. I knew I wanted to get into coaching uh, pretty much my junior, senior year early on. Um, and 
just looking around for opportunities, and that one came up, and it's it's going to be great for me to go down there. Uh, Coach Warnemonts does a great job with that program down there, always nationally ranked in NAI. So I'm really excited to get down there. Uh, they pay for my master's, so win-win, it's right? win-win. <laughs> I, can't, I can't debate that. Right. <laughs> so uh, with this team, Cody Pachak, he's told both Lucas and I in an interview that he's not an analytics guy, he's a common sense guy. Right. We see that a little bit. He's talked about that, especially with shifts on the defensive side. That's something that you and Connor McLeod handle right. a lot of. How do you kind of – work on that common sense approach, whether it's the defensive shifts or other aspects of coaching this team? Well, I think the first thing he threw out at us was like, look, 60% of the time, hitters are going to pull the ball on the ground. Okay, so naturally, if we don't have much on a guy, we're just going to say, all right, lefty up to bat, second baseman, let's give a step towards the hole. Okay. It's just common sense, stuff like that. Uh, a lot of two strikes, guys are going to, if it's going to be a flare, it's going to be a flare to the opposite field. So, hey, let's bring in the left fielder to a lefty yeah, with two strikes stuff like that it's is a big learning experience I think for me and Connor uh but it, having coach Pachaki there right alongside us he's he's a big he's gonna let us fail first which okay. I think is awesome because I think early on in the first few games of the year it was just like all right guys we've seen him like four times how do you not know how to shift him and it's just like well yeah that makes a lot of sense we should probably know what's going on now so he lets us fail, and we, me and Connor are big on learn from our mistakes and don't let it happen again. That makes good sense, and I've seen multiple times with just those shifts specifically, the opposition hits right into it, and both Lucas and I say on air at the time, there's the shift working again. And <laughs> yep. it seems like you guys, the Growlers, use more shifts than any other team. Is that something you've observed a little bit as well? I, I don't really try and – read into it too much I think I'm more just focused on helping our pitchers get outs and putting our defense in the right position to make plays I mean sometimes it doesn't pay off I mean that's just the risk you take I mean I think we had one in uh, Fond du Lac where Jack Nelson had a ground ball where it would have would have been routine for a shortstop but we had the shortstop shaded way more up towards the middle and we kind of learned from it and we said all right let's move Ivan a little back more towards straight up shortstop and the guy grounded into Ray Dash Ivan so it's just improvise and adjust every single day I think is kind of the mentality uh, me and Connor go through as the game progresses is okay well we need to make adjustments pitch to pitch. Recently the Growlers have gone through a little bit of some depth issues in the bullpen yeah. and I want to talk to you about though the position players who got into pitch you're a former pitcher yeah. Jason Sullivan has pitched now a couple times Jared right. Miller came in Richardson what's the scouting report on those guys scouting report on those guys they those guys are always down there if you pay attention between or before games start they love to just mess around on the mound and uh, <laughs> messing around on the mound well I guess it kind of paid off they got their shot and uh, came and went out there put up a zero for us uh, I mean Position players on the mound, it's going to happen in this league, especially with the pitch count rules and guys' arms. And when the runs get up there, you're just like, all right, let's roll out some position players. Uh, scouting report, Sully, uh, he's going he's gonna to throw strikes, and that's all we ask. I mean, I think yeah. all those guys are throwing strikes. Uh, Miller, he first pitch, flipped a curveball. Didn't yeah. expect that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but those guys love to compete, and, I mean, that's all you can ask for when you – got someone on the mound I love the intensity of those guys when they're out there on the mound it was all business watching right. them pitch in that game and Sullivan gave up a couple runs he was not happy with no. his performance at all which I think is the best part and says a lot about those guys after those three who else are we looking for as a potential position player if an emergency were to occur as Ooh. the next guy maybe you could see on the mound I could see uh 
I want to see Daniels on the mound. Okay. Okay. He's that center fielder. He does. He actually throws off two feet. He throws. He throws off that back leg, which is very nice, even from the outfield. Uh, I would like to see uh, maybe. I got Barron hitting down here right now yeah. during this interview. I I think Barron could sling it a little bit, and then four I think, star quarterback in high school. Exactly. He's got a big arm. Four star quarterback. I mean, Shinneberry was a quarterback in high school too. So I mean, he's our closer. So, uh, and then I think uh, Cavadas could sling it a little bit. Okay, I'd like to see him on the bump too. All right, that's going to wrap up our interview, Zane. Thank you so much for taking some time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Zane Gonzalez on Growler Talk. What a great interview, Zane Gonzalez. One of the funniest guys I've ever been around. Has a great sense of humor, very sarcastic at times, but he was a journalism major in college, did a lot of stuff there, so was very happy to come on and talk with me and just gave a lot of really insightful answers about coaching with this coaching staff, the hard work that he puts in, what he wants to get out of this and his career moving forward as well as his playing days and Fun little scouting report as well as some of the Growlers' arms that are position players as well and maybe some of the guys he would like to see in emergency scenarios moving forward. So it was a fun conversation to have with Zane. A lot of fun. Let's preview this second half. We're at the midway point. We're not going to focus too much on the upcoming week. We'll preview it a little bit, but I really want to break down what can happen in this second half of baseball. Growlers are 24-11 right now. If the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs, but that is no guarantee, and we've seen halves flip in the Northwoods League before, it's going to be it's going to be a tough road for the Growlers. There's still a lot of ground to cover if they want to make the playoffs. Which player, Brian, are you looking out for in this second half? Outside of Nico Cavadas, outside of Mason Shinobi, we already highlighted them. Is there one guy that stands out to you, pitcher, position player, whatever you want to do, that you're like, this guy is the key for the Growlers continuing their success into the second half? It's really hard to pick one guy, but there are definitely a couple that you could highlight. Zach Daniels is one with so much talent that could just all of a sudden become put everything together offensively. He's already there defensively. can go through those stretches where he is such a great offensive player as well. So I think that there is definitely the flashes. If he could put it together, he can carry this team and essentially become right away the best player on this team. So he would be my first pick. Other guys such as maybe Sam Hall, the shortstop middle infielder from Clemson, a guy who gets on base a lot, Jonathan Foster, a guy with a lot of power hitter. And then on the pitching side of things, someone like Kyle Verbitsky or Connor Adams. Both are guys with a lot of potential on the mound that I really look at moving forward in this starting rotation. Tommy Summer out of the bullpen, great first half. You hope to continue that in the second half, but I'm going to go with Zach Daniels, the main guy I'm looking at to step it up and really put it all together for him in the second half. Love Zach Daniels. I think his talent's going to push him through this season. I think he's going to hit a lot more home runs. But my guy I'm looking at was a guy who we kind of, we read off a little bit in the middle of the season. It's Brendan Rivoli. He's the second part of that catching duo. He's upped his batting average now to 292. sneakily, has a home run, has 11 RBIs, is a solid defensive catcher. Five hits in his last two games. He's starting to turn it on. He looks comfortable. His swing looks better than it has all season. Jonathan Foster produces at the plate seemingly every day he's out there. And if Brandon Rivoli, I think he can start to match Jonathan Foster day for day. And if you're at the catcher position, if every day you're getting 340 with some power and some RBI potential, if you're getting 340 out of the catcher position, plus the defense those two play, that's incredible. If you have that out of the catcher position, that's the key to unlocking any lineup. You see that all across big league baseball, that if you get a hitting catcher 
that can jump your lineup up another level because catchers are mainly seen as defensive pieces, and if they can hit, that's great. If not, that's fine. But if they can hit at 340 in that level, which I have a feeling Brennan Rivoli is going to be the key to that, this is going to jump that lineup close to or even above Madison. This catching duo back there right now of so much talent behind the dish. Foster has a little bit more power at the moment than Rivoli, but Brennan's doing a great job working hard on the offensive side, starting to see the ball well. And when those two have good days offensively, this offense tends to put up a lot of runs. Rivoli was involved in that 21-run game against Rockford just a few days ago, hitting his lone home run in that game. So I completely agree. That's a great pick for the second half. It's going to be a fun, fun half to watch. Talk about the pitching for a second. You mentioned Kyle Verbitsky, Adam Wheaton planning to return over these next couple weeks. The pitching is going to be the wild card. I think a lot of these hitters are going to be around for the stretch run. The pitchers, innings limits come into play. Some arms get tired. You're going to have to rotate guys in. Jeff Birch is a guy you imagine to be around for most of the season. Guys like Derek Carr are going to have to step up. Austin Lorenzic back on the roster. He's going to have to step his game up. What pitcher are you looking at, or what just the pitching staff in general? How is it going to all fit together? Because without pitching, you know you can't win in the playoffs. Without pitching, you can't win in general in baseball. And this team won in spite of its pitching recently. How's this pitching staff going to put it together to make them an elite team instead of just, hey, we've got a good offense, and if we get lucky on the mound, we'll win some games? It's a very fluid pitching staff. Lots of guys can come and go. That's the way it is in the Northwoods League. I look at a guy like Connor Adams, though. This is still really the beginning of his collegiate career. Did not pitch at all at Tennessee Tech this year, so he had to redshirt. So he's a guy who looked great in his last time out that I think could really continue to build on that performance. And feels like his stuff gets better, his confidence gets better every time he's out on the mound. And he's learning to pitch at the collegiate level, which is a big thing. Him and Jonathan Foster were working very well together in that last outing for him. So he's a guy that I think has a real chance if he stays around for the rest of the summer, which I think he will to get more innings, he could be a very strong ace of the staff. You mentioned Kyle Verbitsky. His last start statistically was his worst start, but in terms of how the ball came out of his hand and how he was locating his pitches, you could argue that it looked the best at times. He made a few mistakes. I think that if he can continue to maintain his confidence, continue to build strength, to continue to focus, he could be another key starter in that playoff stretch. A lot of room for improvement. That's why having a young team is a positive, is they're going to get better. We said, first podcast, this team is going to be a second-half team. And I think it's true. I think everybody's going to start improving. Everybody's going to start getting comfortable, especially the young pitchers. It's going to be hard to top the first half, but I think they can continue to get better and play. They're a pretty solid group at this point. And I think the pitchers have a lot of room to go up, but I think they have a lot of talent, the potential to do it. What are the chances that this team wins the second half Second question along with it, does it matter? Do they need to win the second half? If they maintain their pace, don't win the second half and still make the playoffs, obviously it's a considered a success, but would you give them a shot in the playoffs? Yeah, they absolutely have a shot to win this second half. They could be that second half team. Lots of young bats and arms continuing to grow, improve, get into the swing of things here throughout the summer. And I think that no matter what, if they do win this second half, or even if they don't, they still have a great shot to make the playoffs and compete in the playoffs because they set themselves up so well in the first half with a really strong record. It sets them up well for success. Even if you don't win the second half, you can still make those playoffs and compete. Team started 8-6, eight, eight and six, got a lot of talent, and went 16-5 and five over the last 21 games. That's a positive sign moving forward. They've been gaining strength. That winning streak, a big part of that. 
your surprise team overall in the Northwoods League in the second half. Who, who do you think it is? For me, I hate, hate to say it, the I-94 rival, but I think it's the Battle Creek Bombers. I think they've had the guys in there a long time. They're starting to get comfortable. They're starting to look pretty good. I think they could be a dangerous team in the second half. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs? I'm not actually sure. I'm not convinced on it. But out of the teams in the bottom half of the division, if there was going to be a surprise, I think Battle Creek is the favorite to be that surprise. I don't rule out the Wisconsin Rapids Rafters. This was the first half in three years that they did not win this first half of the South Division. So I look at them to come out with a vengeance in the second half and really start playing some inspired baseball potentially to try to win that second half and make the playoffs. I think they have a lot of room to grow on a very talented roster. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's go ahead. Quick preview over this next week for the Kalamazoo Growlers, Brian. They're facing the Lakeshore Chinooks tonight. And then over this next week, it'll be a lighter stretch. I'd say, than the previous eight games they were playing. Rockford, Fond du Lac, winning record. Wisconsin Rapids had a winning record at the time. They played them, Fond du Lac, and then they played Madison before that. But this upcoming stretch, two at home against Lakeshore, then four games on the road against Green Bay and Kenosha, and then you play Battle Creek. So the next upcoming stretch for Kalamazoo, all against teams with losing records. This is a great opportunity for the Growlers to get off to a roaring start in this second half. But hey, everyone's 0-0 zero zero in this second half to start it, and I think it is a good opportunity. It appears that they are going to be the more talented teams to start it in the early part of the second half, but I think you can't overestimate anyone. These teams could come out with a different mindset and a great mentality to start it, and I think that you have to be careful just overestimating or underestimating some of these teams early on in the year. When you are so talented, it's essentially a brand new season here in the second half. All right. Prediction, next six games, two at home against Lakeshore, two on the road against Green Bay, two on the road against Kenosha. I say they go 5-1 and one on this stretch. I think that they're clicking right now. I think the pitching staff was in a lull. I think they're going to find their way out of it. We're going to see a lot more quality starts over this next week. I feel like Connor Adams going out there and doing it is going to motivate the rest of this staff to match his start. And I think this competition, I think the Growlers are better than these teams that they're about to play. I think they go 5-1 and one over this next stretch. So hard to ask a baseball team to win six games in a row. We've seen them do it before. I think 5-1 and one out of this next stretch. Another successful road trip. Right now they have the best winning percentage on the road in the Northwoods League. I see this as a successful week and a great start to the second half. I think it's 5-1 and one's a great pick. I would go 4-2 and two with mine. I think that it's going to be a good start to the second half as well. Lakeshore right now is a team 6-4 and four in their last 10. They're playing better baseball, climbing in the standings. While I think the Growlers are the better team and playing here at home, would not be surprised to see a split with Lakeshore depending and then it's tough to win all four games on a road trip, but I think that it's still going to be a great start to the second half. Four and two, five and one. Head and hey, we can't rule out the six and zero. When this team went on that winning streak, they proved us wrong with a couple of those predictions. Hey, by next Wednesday, they could clinch the I-94 rivalry cup for the first time since 2014. A lot of big things coming up for Growlers baseball. We thank you so much for listening. Remember, mixlr.com/kzoo-growlers to listen game by game. Keep up to date with this team. Make your way out to Homer Stryker Field. It is a great atmosphere. Have a fun Independence Day. Be safe on Independence Day if you're listening on July 4th. Celebrate this and celebrate a historic Growlers team. For Brian McLaughlin, I'm Lucas Moore. We'll see you next week. This has been Growlers Talk.